appoint him in my work as a pastor. He will forgive me. Because he died for me. And he was raised for me. And dear ones, if that's true for me, it's true for you. If he died for David, he died for you. One of the closest words to the heart that we can say is, He died for me. Give it a try. Let's hear you say it. The founder of our movement, the Reverend John Wesley. I told this story in the polity class that I'm teaching yesterday. I actually had nine people sign up for polity this year. I can't believe people sign up to study the governance of the church. <laughs> it's amazing. To study the book of discipline really is amazing. But Reverend Wesley was sent to Georgia to do ministry with the Native Americans, and he failed miserably at it. And when he was going back to England, he was on a ship that was in threat of sinking. It had such a great storm upon it. And he was crying and screaming and crying out to the Lord for help. But the Moravian Christians on the boat with him were singing hymns to God and praising God. And he thought to himself, what's wrong with me? Do I not have faith? And he struggled with that. And one day, one of his preaching colleagues told him, he said, John, preach faith until you have it. And then after you have faith, preach faith. And so Reverend Wesley did that. And one morning he heard one of the psalms read that we just read a few weeks ago. And it, it touched his heart. And that evening he went to a Bible study on Aldersgate Street in London. And a person got up to lead the study and he was reading from Martin Luther's commentary on the Romans. But just the preface to it. The introduction to it. And Wesley heard the words that he read and he suddenly felt in his heart that Christ died for me, even me. And the story is, he said, I felt my heart strangely warm. And I realized that Christ died even for me. We can separate our ourselves from the text that we hear from this book, from this Word of God. By believing that they're just for that generation of people back then, we can separate ourselves from it by believing that the questions it asks are not for us. Before I read this text today, I want to make sure that you know that the question Jesus asks is for us. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark. The 8th chapter, beginning with the 27th verse. Jesus went on with His disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered Him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? 
Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I believe that Mark has shaped his story of Jesus' life to bring us specifically to this point. I believe that right now is when the story turns in Jesus' life and his disciples' life. And dear ones, this is the most penultimate moment in our existence. When Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Who do you say that I am? We're prepared for that by hearing all the other things that Jesus has done. But Mark's story doesn't begin with Jesus' birth. It begins with John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness and calling people to repent. To turn away from their selves and turn to God. To turn away from serving their selves first, from serving their own desires first, and turn to the desires of God. And John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus and all heaven broke loose. Jesus came forth saying, the kingdom of God is near you because Jesus was near us. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, calling the people to repent and believe the good news. Dear ones, we can't follow Jesus if we can't repent of not following Jesus. To follow Jesus means to turn around and head where He's going. Repentance is necessary. And so Jesus called His own disciples to change their lives, to leave their fishing boats, to leave their families, to leave everything they knew and follow Him into the desert villages and follow Him into towns that maybe they had never been to before for a purpose that they didn't yet understand. He healed a man with a demon. He healed people at Simon Peter's house. He cleansed a leper who no one else would touch and everyone else would have just soon seen them die and be gone and not be a hard problem for the rest of the people. Rather than help them, they would have just soon seen them go away. Jesus healed a paralyzed man who everybody else walked by, but occasionally someone might help him. But Jesus healed him and gave him a new life. 
He drove out evil spirits from people. He taught about the kingdom of God with phrases and parables that challenged the heart of His hearers and called them to do something other than worry about themselves first. He cast a whole legion of demons out of one man. He healed a woman's daughter without even seeing her. He healed a deaf man and opened his ears and his mouth so that he could praise God. And right before today's story, Jesus fed 4,000 people and healed a blind man at Bethsaida. No wonder Jesus was wondering who the people said he was. Those kinds of things would stir a community up, wouldn't they? And certainly they had stirred the community up. Some wanted to kill him and others wanted to follow him around and see what he would do next. But Jesus' question to his own disciples was, who do the people say I am? And some said, well, you're a prophet, because they had heard of prophets doing this. Oh, you're Elijah, because they had heard that Elijah had done some of those same things Jesus had done. And they knew that Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah would come. But then Jesus taught them that John the Baptist was Elijah, because he had done the things that Elijah had done, called the people's hearts back to God. To prepare them. To prepare them to hear Jesus' words. And then Jesus looked at him and said, But what about you? You who have been following me the closest. What about you? It might not dawn on us right at first. But we come to this place not to be fed. One of the things I hate to hear is when somebody says, I'm leaving a church because I'm not being fed there. You're not being fed there because you're not putting yourself into it. That's the problem. That's a silly excuse to leave a church. Because church isn't about us. We're here not for ourselves. To follow Christ. We're here to answer the question, who do you say I am? We're here because at some time in our life, that question has popped up. Who do I? Who do I say Jesus is? At some point in our life, Someone brought that question to bear on us. Whether it was a parent or a friend or a pastor, a school teacher, somebody brought to bear on our lives the question, Who do I say Jesus is? And somehow we know that the place where we can learn that is here called by God's grace and mercy to learn about His Son so that we can follow Him. And even more, this is the place that God has given us to follow Him. Through the ministries that we do together, the caring that we do together, the loving that we do together, we get to follow Christ. 
Who do you say that he is? You've heard the stories of what he's done. And even more, you know what he's done in your own life. You know who you were before you met him. And you know who you are now. Who do you say that he is? Peter said, you're the Messiah. But Peter didn't have in mind what Jesus had in mind. Peter had in mind that Jesus was going to storm the gates of Rome and drive the Romans out of his home. Peter believed that Israel was still in exile because they didn't govern themselves. If you know Israel's story, you know that they went through periods of faithfulness and exile depending on whether or not they were following God. And the people were expecting a Savior, a Messiah to come and to bring them back to the homeland. And they had returned to the homeland. But they are still under the rule of other people. And so Peter and his friends were expecting a Messiah who would come and overthrow Rome by force. And so when Jesus started saying that He was going... be rejected. That He was going to suffer. That He was going to be killed. Peter's response was, surely not, Lord. He rebuked Him. And Jesus said, get behind me. Follow me, Peter. Don't try to lead me. Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. It's not a popular teaching today, dear ones. But following Christ means suffering for Christ. It means being willing to be a Christian publicly when Christians are thought to be stupid, unintelligent. Following Christ means following Christ even when it's not cool to follow Christ. And that can only begin with who we say He is. If to us, He's just someone who serves us, if all it is is about getting our ticket punched to get into heaven, we're not going to follow Him. We're going to think that He follows us. And that Jesus' purpose is to make us happy people who have nice cars, that if we pray the right prayer, our wallet will be fat and our lives will be free of hurt. That if we just have enough faith, we'll have everything we want. But our Lord called us to suffer. To give ourselves for others. Who do we say that He is? I have written down here, On this paper, who He is to me. He's King of all kings. That's why I love that song. It reminds me that He's King of all kings because He died and was raised for me. And God gave Him the right hand of authority. He's God's Son. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity. He has never been a time when He didn't exist. 
As John tells us, he was in the beginning with God and he was God. And he is God made flesh for us. God taking on our humanity because we're human. God taking on our frailties because we're frail. To deliver us from our frailties because that's what we need. We don't need a Messiah who comes marching in to do political battle. We need a Messiah who comes marching in to do battle with sin and death. We need a Messiah who comes to die. And who calls us to die. To die to our sinful selves and to be raised into new life with Him. Christ's resurrection make it, makes it possible for us to be raised to new life even now. So we don't have to be worried about ourselves all the time to serve ourselves and to only put ourselves first. But so that we can love God and love others. Which is what we were created to do. So that we can have fulfilled and abundant lives doing something for people other than ourselves. There's a reason you feel good when you give someone a gift. Because you're called to be a gift to everyone you come in contact with. Just as Jesus was a gift to us. Jesus is my Lord. I want to put Him first in everything that I do. But more often than not, I fail at that. Even when I try to give myself to some things, I overextend myself just as I've been this week with teaching the lay servants. And for a moment I feel bad about it, how it inconveniences me when I could have been out playing yesterday, when I worked the whole week. But then I get into that place and I get to serve Him and I realize that there was nothing better I could have been doing. Just like these kinds of days. I can't imagine that some of you didn't think when you hit that cool air this morning, boy, it would be a good day to stay home and go to the lake or the park or play in the yard, right? But you came here. Because in your heart you know, worshiping your Lord is more important than those things. He's my Lord. That means I have to do this. Even if I might would rather be an architect. He's my Lord. So I have to be who He's called me to be. He's my Savior. Without Him all I have is death. Without Him everything that I am means nothing. But with Him... I have eternal life. And the things that I do have meaning. He's my king. My first allegiance is to him. I love my country. But my first allegiance is to the kingdom of Christ. I love my family. But I couldn't put them first and not uproot them from the life that we had. Because Jesus is my King. I love you all. But my first allegiance is to serve Christ. 
Jesus is my king. And lastly, the thing that I want you to know is that Jesus is my life. I regret every moment that I fail Him. Every moment that I'm not a person of peace. Every moment that I let some filth inhabit my mind. Because He is my life. And without Him, I know that my life would have no meaning because I have lived life without Him. I have lived life denying His purpose for me. I have lived life denying His calling on my life. And those were the saddest years of my existence. He's my life. For those words, I I find that Paul's words to the Galatians in chapter 2 are very meaningful for me. He said to them, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, I have taken up my cross. I have given up my life for Him. And it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'm reminded of Peter on those days when it gets hard to follow Christ, when you get tired of people acting like you're an idiot because you believe the story of Christ. I'm reminded of Peter's words when Jesus said to them, Are you going to leave also? It was one of those times when Jesus had a big crowd around him and he preached about something hard, about giving up your life and follow him and taking him as the very basis of your life. And a bunch of them left. And Jesus looked at Peter and the other disciples and said, Do you want to leave too? And Peter said, Where will I go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter's words resonate in my heart. They are my words. Where else would I go? My King speaks words to me of life. And lastly, these words from Colossians. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, By making peace through the blood of His cross. I love Jesus because Jesus came to get me and make peace between me and God. And because Jesus came to make peace between you and God. Between us and God. I love Jesus because Jesus first loved us. That's who Jesus is to me. That's who I say He is. But the question wasn't just for me, was it? Who do you say He is, dear ones? Not just by the words of your mouth, but by the actions and thoughts of your hearts.
Who do you say He is? As we stand in